Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corinne Pettit, and with me today providing an update about research activities supported by the National Psoriasis Foundation are Dr. Stacey Bell, the Foundation's Chief Scientific and Medical Officer, and Jackie Domeyer, Associate Director of Research and Medical Affairs. You've heard both as guests or hosts from time to time, such as Dr. Bell addressing key developments around the COVID-19 pandemic and how recommendations apply to those who have psoriatic disease, as well as Jackie addressing highlights of study results and treatment advances presented in recent publications. Given their roles within the MPF, they are perfect to address the Foundation's key research initiatives and the latest developments. So welcome, Stacey and Jackie. It's a pleasure to have you back on SoundBites. So to help form a base for our discussion today, can you please address the research goals included within the Foundation's five-year strategic plan? Thank you. Jackie and I are thrilled to be here today to talk to you about some of the research efforts at the MPF. First, I'd like to talk a little bit about the inclusions within the strategic plan, as you noted. So for our FY 2019-24 strategic plan, research really became the focus with the overarching goal being to lead collaborative, transformational research in psoriatic disease. But what exactly does that mean? So when the group got together to develop our strategic plan, they really had thought about questions that our community was facing. The unmet needs of the group, areas where we could really improve their lived experience with psoriatic disease, and areas in which we could encourage or support our researchers and our clinicians to really conduct the needed research. The strategic plan included elements for the research that we fund, really pushing the envelope, bringing on new initiatives that could address some of those unmet needs, also continuing many of the research funding mechanisms that we had in place, but importantly, going beyond the research that we fund to really research that we are conducting, that we are leading as an organization, whether that be patient-centered research, whether that be leading our first clinical study or whether that be collaborating or partnering with our research and providers to look at elements that could ultimately improve overall health outcomes for our patient community. Jackie, do you have thoughts on the strategic plan to add? Yes, I think another really important point, especially for me, since I lead a lot of our efforts for our grant program, is really highlighting that we are wanting to fund a grant that will lead to the development of a diagnostic test for psoriatic arthritis, again, to really impact the quality of patient life because there is a a big delay in seeing that diagnosis for people that go on to develop psoriatic arthritis, and then also establishing these multi-institutional, multidisciplinary team-based research networks that are really working together collaboratively. Because we've seen in science that many people coming together with different perspectives and different areas of expertise are really able to advance research quicker than if we're doing it on our own. And especially with the NPF's involvement, being able to provide the patient voice, again, is really contributing to this strategic plan goal of leading collaborative transformational research. And Stacey, among the goals you and Jackie just mentioned is to reduce by 50% the time from which an individual's psoriasis have symptoms of psoriatic arthritis to when they're actually diagnosed. 
As you know, many people are sometimes diagnosed several years after symptoms begin. So what plans are in place to achieve the 50% reduction goal? I've heard mention of the PSA Diagnostic Test Grant Mechanism. Can you provide more detail about this project? I'd be happy to. So as we outlined with the strategic plan, we really were trying to move the needle, make the biggest impact on our community. This truly is one of the most ambitious strategic plans set forth by the foundation. And in doing so, the inclusion of reducing the time to diagnose psoriatic arthritis is so very important to our community. One of the major elements of this plan is really to educate, educating patients on looking for signs for their disease and how to talk to their providers and educating providers on how to detect signs of psoriatic arthritis very early on. Unfortunately, there isn't a diagnostic test, and Jackie will talk about this more in detail further in our conversation. But like many disease states, you can go in and have a blood test or have a biopsy, and you're able to do a definitive diagnosis. For psoriatic arthritis, that's not the case. And unfortunately, with as little as six months delay in the diagnosis, permanent joint damage can result. So having a diagnosis as early as possible is so important. In addition, increasing the access to care is also very important. So from our perspective, ensuring that our providers, maybe it's primary healthcare providers or dermatologists, are working in partnership with rheumatologists to have patients diagnosed very early. From a research perspective, there are a number of elements that we're also specifically addressing. First and foremost, the development of diagnostic tests for psoriatic arthritis. This is really one of the biggest unmet needs of our community. And Jackie mentioned already about the PSA Diagnostic Test Grant Program. She'll go into more detail about that. But this is something that would make a tremendous difference for all of our patients. In addition to supporting research, we have ongoing research internally through our annual survey of our patient community, addressing the experience of the first development of symptoms and the diagnosis. And along with serving our patients, it provides education for us so that we can best support both the patients and the providers, whether it be earlier screening, whether it be barriers to receiving care and that subsequent diagnosis. And so we're really trying to approach this goal of reducing that time to diagnosis throughout all the pillars, through research, very importantly, and as on topic for our discussion today, as well as our advocacy and access efforts, and then finally, education. Yeah, and I think that Stacey mentioned all of these elements, and I think really looking at taking the research and with something like the PSA Diagnostic Test Grant, hopefully we do end up finding a definitive diagnostic test at the the end of, of this program. But it's really important to think about how we implement that diagnostic test, because if none of the clinicians or doctors know that it exists, it's not really going to be very useful for actually diagnosing patients. And so I think that's really a strength of the NPF, that we're able to kind of take all of these pieces and put them together and make sure that, again, we are moving the needle as fast as we can. And we're hoping that with projects like this PSA Diagnostic Test Grant that we are able to move that research needle even further and then continue these educational efforts to our our provider community. Yeah, that's so true about providing education about the disease and the PSA Diagnostic Test once identified. So just how many grant applications did the foundation receive for the PSA Diagnostic Test Project, Jackie? I'm curious about how many are currently being funded. 
So we actually opened up the application process for this in, in 2019. So that year we did receive 25 applications for the diagnostic test grant project, which really high number and it was really great to see that big of a response. And after a really thorough review by a really well-respected peer review committee, so it's other scientists that are in the psoriatic disease field that can really evaluate both the, the feasibility of the research and then the ability of it to be translated into a diagnostic test. Six were chosen for initial funding, and this initial stage of funding was to generate proof of concept data. What that means is these researchers have an idea of what they can do to try to determine what they can use to develop a diagnostic test grant. And so that initial year of funding is really to develop that, that idea. And then at the end of that initial stage of funding, it will then be evaluated by the scientific peer review committee. And just to make sure that that initial concept again is feasible and they're able to be further developed into a diagnostic test. So, you know, we're still in that proof of concept data phase. And so in a couple months, actually, it's going to go into this kind of competitive renewal stage. So all of the six applications that were chosen for that initial funding will be evaluated. And then one to two of those will be chosen to move forward and then further develop their work, hopefully, to a diagnostic test. Well, that's a perfect lead into our next question. So for both of you, are there any promising avenues or developments that could lead to the PSA diagnostic test we would all like to see occur? We've been so fortunate because we received, as Jackie indicated, a high number of applications. And what that allowed us to do is really select the most meritorious to move forward for that first proof of concept phase. In that proof of concept phase, those applications really highlight a multitude of approaches. And with that initial offering, we were really very pleased to see the researchers being very creative. So whether it be imaging or whether it be laboratory tests, again, all of these approaches could render a, an appropriate test, but as Jackie indicated, it also has to be a test that we can then apply to clinical use and that everyone can feel comfortable using that everyone has access to. So within the context of the applications, there's also a, a criterion that has to be something that is clinically feasible. And so as we move forward with these different avenues, that's going to be one element of it. Jackie, would you like to review some of the potential approaches that we've re uh, received from our researchers? Yeah, um, I would love to. And again, this is really exciting for me to talk about this to this audience today because it's been really fulfilling to be a part of this project from the get-go and its inception and see the initial hypotheses and the initial proposals that these investigators had and then how they're moving those forward. And so a lot of the work that's being done to develop a diagnostic test is trying to find something that is either detectable or in looking at the level of this in disease, and it's called a biomarker. If you have heard of rheumatoid arthritis, they actually have a specific biomarker that they can use as a, as a test. And if they're able to detect certain level of this biomarker, then that means that you have the disease. And so the goal is to get something like that for psoriatic arthritis. And so many of these projects are looking at trying to identify biomarkers in the disease. But so far in research in the past, finding ones that can be detected by traditional tests that's done on a blood sample has been difficult, which is 
how they do the test for, for rheumatoid arthritis. A lot of our researchers are trying to use new technology that's come about in the last few years to try to identify new biomarkers that could lead to this diagnostic test that could eventually be incorporated and used in the clinic. So they're looking at genes and proteins and RNA, so a lot of different cellular components, but also they're looking at the presentation of the skin disease, whether that be the location that you see the plaques forming or the severity. And then also, as Stacey mentioned, looking at potential imaging as a biomarker. And a lot of our research community really thinks with psoriatic arthritis, because it presents so differently in the psoriatic disease community, that we may have a clearer picture of who's going to go on to develop psoriatic arthritis if we aren't just looking at one biomarker. So a lot of these researchers are trying to find kind of these candidate biomarkers in a lot of the different areas, again, whether it be a clinical presentation, imaging, proteins that are found, and trying to find a way that we can put those together to really have a very definitive diagnostic test. And um, another exciting advancement in a lot of this work is the patient populations that are being used in this research. So a lot of work has been done over the past years to create these registries of patients or, or groups of patients that researchers are following through their progression of their disease. And so they've actually been able to compare some of these different biomarkers in psoriasis patients that haven't developed psoriatic arthritis with those that, that have. And so, again, hopefully by comparing those two populations, we're able to clearly identify something that's going to be able to diagnose psoriatic arthritis and diagnose those people that have a risk of going on to develop psoriatic arthritis that are just presenting with the skin disease currently. So a lot of really exciting stuff that's going on there. The thing that I'd like to add as well, and I think that it goes without saying, and, and Jackie and I will comment on this again later, but the impact of COVID-19 on research, clinical trial conduct, even patient care, it goes without saying how that has had a tremendous impact. And so in a big initiative like this for research, when researchers are faced with trying to conduct these major projects in the context of a pandemic, it's very, very challenging. And what we've seen to date with all of the investigators and their teams that are participating in the proof of concept phase, we've seen tremendous progress despite the pandemic. So we're really looking forward to having the first segment of their research done and so that we can go on and look at those potential approaches that have the most potential for the development of that diagnostic test. But to date, we've been thrilled with what we've seen coming from the investigators and their groups, and we'll look forward to hopefully having more progress to report in our next update. Wow, that's all really fascinating and sounds really promising. It's good to hear that even with COVID-19, this life-altering project can move forward. So Stacey, you mentioned another significant research goal, which is to establish a multi-institution, multidisciplinary approach to investigate the prevention of psoriatic disease, relapse, or related comorbidities through the Psoriasis Prevention Initiative, also known as PPI. Can you please identify the current progress of this goal? How important is it to build collaboration towards a significant goal? So for those of you in the audience that are familiar with the MPF funding research, we've been funding research for a long time. Typically, the approach in the past has been to say, we're going to have a funding mechanism. Please come to us with your best ideas. And we would look at those ideas, and our research committee and our board of directors would weigh those against what we knew and understood as the, the unmet needs of the community and make the best 
decisions we could moving forward on which research to fund. With that being said, the PPI represents a significant advance for the NPF on multiple levels. But one of the most significant is, is that we, in this case, actually set the research objectives. We determined what we thought would be an area or areas of most dominant need for our community, most interest and potential impact for the community, and from that developed the, the PPI mechanism. It is also very unique, and it's the first time that we're requiring a multi-institutional approach with a multidisciplinary focus on that research. So with this, there was a requirement for a certain number of institutions or investigators, along with different approaches to really put multiple experts together to address a problem. So the objective of the overall initiative is to investigate the prevention of psoriatic disease, relapse, or related comorbidities, as was outlined. Within the context of this project, we wanted the investigators to come forward with their best strategies and approaches to do so with that. The old adage of, you know, more heads are better than one. We really thought that having different perspectives brought to the table in discussion of these projects could really address these important questions. Well, thank you, Stacey, for identifying the development and purpose of the PPI. Jackie, could you please speak generally about the project funded for year one for the PPI? I would love to. Stacey highlighted the goal for this to really be multi-institutional, multidisciplinary, so pulling in multiple people on the project that have different levels of expertise. And while we did fund three projects for the first year of the PPI, that encompasses 18 investigators and over 11 institutions. And so I think that we met the goal of that of trying to bring a lot of different ideas and a lot of different institutions into these projects. And so of the three projects that we funded, so one was funded um, as the, the lead PI is Joel Gelfand at University of Pennsylvania. And I'm sure a lot of our community has heard Joel. He's one of the chairs of the, the COVID-19 task force. If you've been listening to the podcasts or webinars from there, you have heard him speak before and very well-known name in our community. And so Stacey mentioned kind of the goal of the PPI was really looking at prevention of psoriatic disease and relapse or related comorbidities. So his project is looking at this comorbidity piece and trying to identify people that are at the greatest risk for developing cardiovascular disease and then an early intervention for it. Since cardiovascular disease is really attributed to be the main cause of the reduction and lifespan of those with psoriatic disease, preventing this, again, would really improve, obviously, the lives of our patients, but this is also meeting one of our metrics of our, our strategic plan. So again, really aligns well with the goals of the MPF. And then another project that we funded is from Dr. Johan Gajonson from University of Michigan. And their group, again, is really well known for diving into the genetics of psoriatic disease. And so they have a really great group that is experienced in doing these kind of genetic evaluations. And so they're planning on kind of looking at the different forms of psoriasis, because there are many different forms of psoriasis other than just plaque psoriasis, which is the most common, but trying to look at the different mechanisms and the different kind of signaling that's going going on in these different forms of psoriasis and hopefully using the biology that's already there and trying to elucidate those mechanisms as a way to identify new targets and new ways to prevent psoriasis as a whole. And then the third project is from Dr. Chris Richland at the University of Rochester. 
he is a rheumatologist, and so he's looking at the development of psoriatic arthritis and then utilizing these patient cohorts that we spoke about in the PSA Diagnostic Test Grant as a way to identify what the interventions could be to prevent psoriatic arthritis from developing at all in patients with psoriasis. And so we really kind of encompassed every aspect of the goals and the aim of the PPI. So it was great to see that variety in the proposals that we received and then also that we were able to go ahead and fund. I think an interesting thing to note is the foundation, we were planning to only fund two of these at this stage, but the research was just so great and we got such a good response from the community that the board felt that it was really important to fund three projects in this first year. So again, it's great to be able to do that. And we're able to do that because of the dollars that we receive from donations. And again, really important in trying to drive this research forward. You also asked about the current progress of this goal. So we are on track for this, again, despite the pandemic. As Jackie indicated, we had such a positive response. We had such strong applications. So we are aligned with how we had outlined for funding for the initial year for this. And we hope to move forward with a competitive renewal of these projects and then moving on into years two through five for this mechanism, we'll actually be funding at a level that has been unheard of from an MPS standpoint in the past, really higher levels of funding. And with that, the thought is really to move these very important projects forward. The other thing I'd like to comment on that Jackie touched on were these phenomenal teams. And that was the thing that really struck us when the applications came to the NPF is that really our world's experts came together to try to come up with strategies to address these questions. And they are going to be able to accomplish so much more as a collective and in collaboration than one individual would be able to accomplish in the timeframe outlined. So we're just so excited about the mechanism being initiated. It took quite a bit to get the infrastructure together within the context of the NPF form for funding our granting mechanisms. And a big thank you goes to Jackie for all of her efforts. And as well as many of uh, our leaders, thought leaders within our community that really partnered with us to develop the most robust mechanism that we could. That's a great progress update. And it's great to hear what's planned for the future of PPI. Sounds like a lot of amazing work's being done to move this goal forward. So Jackie, in addition to funding the PSA Diagnosis Project and the PPI, what other focus areas are being funded by the foundation? Can you explain the difference between a discovery grant versus a transitional research grant and provide examples of each? I would be happy to. And I think it's important to look at the foundation's history in funding some of these research grants. I think every nonprofit that then starts to look at it, funding some of these research grants starts off small, and we did as well. And, you know, we've just continued to grow over the years. And so we have some traditional mechanisms in our traditional areas that we're funding. Originally, we were offering fellowships to some of these early career people and supporting those. And then we have a couple different areas that we like to fund. So we have the discovery grant, which Kareen just mentioned, and the discovery grants allow researchers to undertake these preliminary and proof of concept studies. We mentioned the proof of concept term earlier in relation to the PSA diagnostic test grant. And it's really important to fund these areas and these pilot studies because a lot of the times when you're going to the National Institutes of Health to apply for a grant, which are large federally funded grants, 
you need preliminary data. And without having some of this preliminary data to support your research question, your research may not be chosen to be funded. And so as a foundation, we can provide this kind of initial funding to researchers that are looking at developing new ideas, which again, really important in moving the needle forward in research. So there needs to be innovation looking at new therapeutic area that might target something different than what the biologics that we have now target. Discovery grants really allow for those initial ideas that a researcher has and provides that funding to move those forward and then hopefully go on to receive higher dollar funding, either from the NIH or one of our other higher dollar mechanisms as well. A lot of that research is what we call basic research since it is you know, so new and, and novel. And so it's looking sometimes in animal models or sometimes even in cellular models and trying to grow that research idea. But then we also have a translational research grants, which these really focus on helping these scientific discoveries that come from these early basic studies and then move into more clinical research and either a clinical study, population-based studies that are able to move rapidly into treatments that can benefit patients with psoriatic disease. What's nice that the translational research grants that we provide are a two-year award, which are, is longer than our other traditional grant mechanisms, and then provide a little bit more funding because a lot of the times clinical studies are a little bit more expensive to do. So those are the two really important mechanisms that the foundation started a while ago and continued because we get a lot of applications in those because it's a really big need for the research community. And then we also have bridge grants, which they help support researchers that are kind of in the middle stages of receiving funding. So they may have gotten some initial funding from us or a smaller grant from the NIH. And then as they're trying to go for those bigger award dollars, a lot of the times maybe their application is asked to further develop it. And so in that maybe few months while they're trying to resubmit their application, to the NIH, they will need what's called bridge funding. And so they need a little bit of funding to either do a little bit more work to make that application better when they go to resubmit it. And again, this is another longstanding mechanism that the NPF has had for grants. And we really get a lot of good feedback about this mechanism from the National Institutes of Health because they have shown that researchers that are supported by foundation grants and specifically the National Psoriasis Foundation bridge grants, that they are successful when they go on to submit their application again to National Institutes of Health to receive that larger dollar amount for funding. So another really important mechanism that the foundation has supported. Well, thanks, Jackie, for sharing that information about other funding mechanisms through MPF. They certainly sound just as critical to researchers and the MPF. So now a question for you both. On top of the grants you just mentioned, Jackie, the foundation is also funding a new project called More Than Skin Deep Mental Health. How important is it to address mental health in association with psoriatic disease? So what we're seeing with our patient community is not only are they facing the challenges physically of psoriatic disease, so whether that be the skin manifestation, whether that be joint pain and fatigue associated with psoriatic arthritis, or a number of the comorbidities that may be related to psoriatic disease. But there's also a very strong psychological and mental component of the disease state. Early years, many thought that this impact on mental health was likely related to just the 
overall impact of the physical nature of the disease. So whether that be the discomfort, the reluctance to participate in social activities, maybe even physical activity, and also just the stigma potentially associated with psoriatic disease and the presentation of of psoriasis, the most visible manifestation. What over the years researchers have come to find, as well as physicians treating those with psoriatic disease, is that there is a significant part of the condition that is related to the disease itself. So the inflammation that individuals experience that causes the skin appearance, that causes some of these other physical effects, really also could potentially cause mental illness or mental health impacts as well. Recent research has really focused on how systemic inflammation could be related directly to mental health. So when we think about how it impacts our community, we hear from those living with psoriatic disease and those actually helping to care for those with psoriatic disease, the significant impacts that mental health on their day-to-day life, whether it be anxiety or depression or a mix thereof. And so we as an organization recognized the significant aspect of mental health on the positive health outcomes, again, quality of life on a day-to-day experience, and then long-term. So in thinking about potential funding mechanisms, I was very excited to work with Jackie and, and as she thought through and developed our new mechanism this year called More Than Skin Deep Mental Health. And really, this mechanism encompasses all aspects of mental wellness and the considerations for the psoriatic disease community. So that could be the underlying causes of mental health issues, again, related to some of the systemic inflammation resulting from the disease or potentially treatments for individuals. So whether it's a a treatment that is treating that overall inflammation or whether it is a specific mental health treatment. And then also tools for our patient communities so that they can live happy and healthy lives despite the fact that they may have a mental health aspect to deal with with their disease as well. Jackie, do you have other further things to add? I think that we had a lot of forethought as an organization to bring this grant mechanism and not just a focus for a grant mechanism and funding research in that area, but trying to provide resources and educate our community as a whole into the importance of mental health. And this was done even before the pandemic hit. And I just think we were well positioned when the pandemic hit that mental health became a big point of focus for a lot of people worldwide. And it's great that we were already moving that direction and able to provide this as um, both resources for the patient community and then also telling our research community that this is a gap that research needs to fill. And so it was really interesting as we were developing the request for applications for our scientific community to kind of dig down into what is the current state of research in, in the mental health space and psoriatic disease and providing that as a jumping off point to our community and say, this is what we know, and this is the areas that we need to fill and having them respond to that. And as a foundation, we're just kind of continuing to move that direction for a lot of our research efforts, and not just in the grant funding space, but just as an an organization as a whole. And so I think that having this award and the goal of it to be to support the area of unmet need that it's just, again, a really good place for the foundation to move the needle. And I think the other thing I would add there too, Jackie, is that we've been so fortunate to have a great deal of support from our provider community 
for this. They really want to be caring for their patients. The other thing is, you, you touched on it, is just raising the awareness, having this dialogue be able to be openly discussed, openly recognized. That is part of the experience, and it's a very important element that really can change the hour-to-hour, day-by-day lived experience with psoriatic disease. I know from someone that has mental health considerations and issues within my own family, one of the, the big hurdles was to be able to freely discuss the situation and then to be able to seek out proper care. And the fact that this mechanism allows patients' voices to be heard in that context, for providers to be able to speak up about what a challenge it is for this element of care for their patients. And then I think it's also resulted in a shared management of patients so that many dermatologists and rheumatologists now are actually pulling in other providers to partner with them in their practice for optimal care. So that may be with a nutritionist for overall lifestyle choices and making the positive choices for impacts on things like their cardiovascular disease risk or obesity. But it also includes bringing in providers that have experience in caring for individuals that are facing mental health challenges. And I think this granting mechanism, even though it may not specifically address all the elements I just noted, it indirectly does so. And I think that's another really important aspect of it. It's interesting that you mention about how everything works together and plays together in psoriatic disease. And even we do know that the inflammation that's seen in the disease impacting mental health, and we see the same inflammatory mechanisms that are seen in psoriatic disease in depression as well. So we know that there's that link there. But then also I'm thinking about the link with with sleep and mental health and people that are investigating that aspect of the disease. And if your skin condition is causing you to not be able to sleep at night, that's going to also have an impact on your mental health and just how all of these things really work together. So you can't keep them siloed from each other when we're, we're trying to help our patients. Yeah, it's so good to hear the foundation is looking more at mental health and its impact on people with psoriatic disease. So Stacey, the last primary goal you mentioned earlier has a focus on improving the overall lifespan and quality of life of individuals living with psoriatic disease. We know that there's so many related comorbidities. Mental health, as you just mentioned, is associated with psoriatic disease that impact both the quality of life and lifespan of people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. How is the foundation addressing the goal of improving the lifespan and quality of life through research activities? So as noted, with the psoriasis prevention initiative, we're directly addressing things that could impact not only quality of life and health outcomes, but the overall lifespan of the members of our community. So looking at preventing cardiovascular disease, for instance, it's still one of the highest rates or causes of death in the United States. And I think that knowing that there is an underlying risk in the psoriatic disease community and researching elements that relate to the, the potential development of those comorbidities, I mean, that that's key. We have a number of our granting mechanisms in all the different forms that Jackie outlined, whether it's discovery grants, looking at basic scientific mechanisms, translational grants, bench to bedside, or looking at actual clinical grants where we specifically evaluate elements that could impact quality of life or the overall lifespan. Jackie mentioned about sleep. That's a primary example. It's difficult to have a high quality of life if you're not sleeping. And if the disease, whether it be itch or whether it be pain or fatigue or mental health issues are resulting in in poor quality of sleep, that's one of the primary 
objectives or directives that we can look at to address that. I think the other point to note, and I think this goes back to just understanding the scope of research at the National Psoriasis Foundation, many of the components of the research we conduct are related to patient-centered research. So again, the lived experience, thinking about aspects that do impact the quality of life. And that research may not be the traditional you think about with a test tube in the laboratory or running a clinical study, but it's equally important. And I think from our perspective, even more important to have that patient voice directly heard and how that will then play into changes we can recommend for treatment approaches. Very recently, we're, we've been very fortunate to have treatment guidelines issued with a collaboration of the American Academy of Dermatology and the NPF, as well as the American College of Rheumatology and the NPF. And there are many elements of those guidelines that will address specific issues for improving lifespan. And one of the things we're doing is getting the word out about those guidelines. And that really also touches on the last element that I wanted to mention that is also related to research, but it is related to our education pillar as well. And that is improving healthcare provider awareness of things that could impact quality of life, that could impact the lifespan, whether it be recognition of the comorbidities, the importance of early treatment. I think that individuals that think of psoriasis as just a skin condition, it's really letting them know that there are several related comorbidities that are going to be consideration for individuals living with psoriatic disease and how best to manage their disease so that their quality of life can be improved to the most that it can be. I think that development of things like we are in the process right now of, of going through the final stages of publishing an infographic. I think sometimes a picture speaks a thousand words or 10,000 words, depending on who you're talking to. And I, I think that having a graphic that represents the systemic inflammation of psoriatic disease and the potential impacts of the comorbidities really is a way that we can inform our patient and our provider community that these truly are considerations. So integrating all of the research and the knowledge we have into something like that graphic is a way to benefit our community beyond being in a laboratory setting. And so I, I really think that those elements of the research that we're conducting really will go a long ways to meeting or achieving this goal. Well, thanks again, Stacey. And I agree, the infographic about the impact of systemic inflammation will be very useful. I can't wait to see it. And Jackie, could you please comment on other ways the research team is supporting researchers and our community given the pandemic? Yeah, and we've touched on this a little bit about the impact that the pandemic has had on research and then, of course, our community. But when the pandemic first hit and kind of took hold, there was a lot of shutdowns everywhere. And so researchers were really concerned about being able to continue the research that we were funding. And so we tried to be proactive about reaching out, having weekly, monthly like touch bases throughout the pandemic to try to update on status and things that they maybe could shift to or transition to working on that they would be able to do from home as far as like analyzing the data that they already had. So they could still, again, be moving that research forward. And a lot of them also chose to write up publications to really get the research out into the field. And luckily, research institutions were pretty proactive about getting things back online pretty quickly. They had to do some shifting as far as how many people could be in a lab at once with social distancing, but they were able to 
again, transition pretty quickly to get everyone working again. And especially the impact on clinical studies was pretty large because we weren't able to have patients coming into the office or the, the clinical trial site to move that research forward. And there was actually a lot of transition to trying to do things via like telehealth visits and telemedicine visits and trying to incorporate technology into clinical trials. So again, they were still able to move those things forward. And we saw a big kind of impact on some of these early career researchers and thinking about people that were maybe at the later stage of their training positions and they were in the middle of trying to get their own independent faculty position at an institution. Well, a lot of institutions had hiring freezes. And so I mentioned our bridge grant mechanism earlier, and we actually opened up the eligibility for that to include that group of early career researchers that may have had a delay in getting hired at another institution. So they were able to still continue some research at the institution that they were at currently. So I think that we really tried to be responsive to our research community and provide the support needed because we don't want people to leave the psoriatic disease research field because of a pandemic or a lack of funding. And so we were happy to kind of provide some of those allowances through the pandemic. And we also saw that a lot of other funding organizations were limiting their amount of funding because of the economic impacts on the organization because of the pandemic. And we were pretty fortunate to not have to limit ours. And we were still able to provide a grant cycle this year. And so we're still like on track to continue our trajectory for funding research. And really, truly, Jackie, that is thanks to our tremendous donor community. A number of individuals, organizations have stepped up to ensure that we have support. I cannot understate the importance of supporting an organization like the MPF through this unprecedented time. And so I think that that's something to really be thankful for. The other things that I'd just like to briefly mention from a research perspective is that the National Psoriasis Foundation very quickly recognized that the pandemic was going to have a significant impact on our community not to mention our world. And so I feel very fortunate to be partnering with a number of providers within our community in the context of the NPF COVID-19 task force. The task force is chaired by Dr. Joel Gelfand and Dr. Christopher Richland, and they put together a tremendous group of experts, not only from dermatology and rheumatology, but from infectious disease and critical care and pediatrics and a number of others as needed. And that group has really been foundational in providing guidance overall to support not only our patients, but our providers. So I would highly encourage everyone to visit the COVID-19 Resource Center on our website and just know that there's a tremendous amount of research being summarized there. And there's a tremendous amount of guidance that is evidence-based and really a great place to have information that you can depend on and rely on. I think the other thing that I'd like to, to mention too, one of, been one of our biggest areas of support for our providers and researchers is just listening through this process. Sometimes it's brainstorming with them about ideas, whether it be ways that they can change their research plans, potentially modify their patient care strategies, whatever it may be, but really just making sure that we've come together as a community to offer support throughout this time. And with each day, there's new data, there's new advances, there's new hope, and much of our role in supporting our community has really just been there as a partner and as a support in that manner. And Stacey, what are some of the ways in which our listeners can become involved in research efforts with the foundation? 
So really, there's a number of ways. We do, as I mentioned, have a number of patient-centered research opportunities, whether that be through our surveys, whether that be through panels. Many of the research projects, as Jackie outlined, there's opportunities for participation for our community in that manner as well. By all means, there are ways to be connected to our research efforts through our podcasts, like this podcast, and through a number of our other educational offerings. Making a donation is a great way to be involved. As I mentioned throughout, Jackie has mentioned throughout, without all the support we've received from individuals in our community, we would not be able to be raising the bar the way we have on our research efforts. And finally, just overall participation in the clinical trials that are being conducted. And that may be a treatment or an intervention, but it may also be elements like sharing your lived experience, whether it be in mental health or whether it be some of the physical presentations. It may even be your development of one of the comorbidities. And so I would really highly encourage individuals to be involved on any level in any way that they can. I think as we continue to partner with our researchers and we're, we have the patient community available that they're looking for to enroll in some of these either survey studies or, or clinical trials and we want to make sure that we are growing that community so we have enough people to participate in those efforts. And you can sign up for the My Studies emails and you can get emails about the clinical trials that are going on in the psoriatic disease research space. So that's a, it's a great initial step if you're interested in participating in those. Well, thank you, Stacey and Jackie, for being here today to provide such a great update about all the research activities the Foundation is currently involved in. Do you have any final comments you'd like to add about the Foundation's research program? So I think first and foremost, I'd like to raise awareness that although many are aware of the research that we fund, there are many other research efforts conducted by the NPF. So I briefly touched on the fact that we'll be initiating one of our first clinical studies. This will actually be looking at the potential benefit of educational intervention for treating to target and having better treatment outcomes. We are working with a group of our expert leaders to define what remission and cure really mean for our patient community and also to our providers. As I mentioned, we also have a number of patient-centered efforts ongoing. And I think that the other big element to this is really the concerted effort to integrate research and evidence-based science into all of the pillars of the foundation. So whether that be education or advocacy efforts, also our community outreach. So we are very, very fortunate to have a very engaged group of providers and patient advocates. But in addition, we work and strive very hard to have active collaborations with the National Institutes of Health, the Centers for Disease Control, and partnering with a number of other organizations in the psoriatic disease space and in the chronic disease space. We very actively have a journal that we are publishing that is now been indexed and continues to grow and flourish under Jackie's leadership. And in addition to that, we are always looking for new projects. So I think that stay tuned. There's more to come. And I'm thrilled that there's interest in our research. If there's ever any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to our research group. Jackie? I think it's really important that Stacy highlighted a lot of these research efforts that are going on at the NPF. And she mentioned you have been funding grants for a while and also have been involved in, in other research efforts too, but outside of our own research community that really weren't communicated to our patient community as well. And we really have our hands in a lot of different areas. And, you know, I think 
as far as the grants program goes, I'm really excited to be taking it on this trajectory of growth and trying to, again, identify the research gaps. And we go about identifying those in different ways. Like we have communication with our patient navigation center. And so we're hearing directly from patients what the areas that they're struggling with and the answers that they need to certain questions. And so that's something that we're in a perfect position to translate to those researchers by offering these mechanisms that are looking at filling those gaps. And including the patient voice and research really important to make sure that the researchers are pursuing relevant areas of research that are really going to have an impact on the, the patient's life. That's why we're all here. And I know that's why I came here. It's great to be able to be involved in helping the patients directly through the research. Well, thank you again, Stacy and Jackie, for sharing all the incredible research activities and opportunities available through the foundation. It really is exciting to hear what the research priorities are and how those efforts will eventually benefit people with psoriatic disease. If you would like to hear more about current research, join us on March 13th for our virtual conference, Healthcare Together, Living Well with Psoriatic Disease. We have a terrific lineup of speakers on topics to help you live well with psoriatic disease. Sign up to attend at psoriasis.org forward slash conference. In addition, just out, MPF has announced the date and location of the 2021 Research Symposium. It will be held September 10th in New York City. Look for more details later in the year. And finally, thank you to the following sponsors who provided support on behalf of the program through unrestricted educational grants. Amgen, Bristol-Myers, Squibb, Pfizer, and UCB. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.